Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Media Gel Podcast. I'm your host, Guillermo Bravo. Today, we'll be discussing SEO 101 for cannabis dispensaries with Samer Alkis. Media Gel connects brands and retailers with cannabis consumers through our ad network of mainstream publishers, mobile apps, games, and TV. We help cannabis companies advertise on Google, support an SEO, and activate data with display advertising to support e-commerce sales. Samer is our VP of search at MediaGel, bringing 10 plus years of SEO experience to today's podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Samer. Hey, Guillermo. Happy to, happy to be here. Excited to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's happy to have you. And uh, hopefully you're all recovered from uh, 420 last week. <laughs> <laughs> National holiday. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's uh, let's dive right in. Well, let's let's first kick it off with a little case study. So, we're gonna pull up uh, a partner of ours in Maryland, uh, medical marijuana, you know, medical cannabis dispensary that's been doing SEO with us for for quite some time. Um, so, let me pull this up for you here. Give me one second. All right. So we're going to be talking you know, heavy about SEO today, uh, diving into all the on-page optimization you know, for a cannabis retailer. Uh, so let's start with Haven. So this is of a partner of ours up in uh, Maryland. You know, they, they have a medical cannabis store and you know, they were having some trouble uh, acquiring new customers and growing their revenue. Uh, so their main problem was, you know, they really wanted to increase e-commerce sales. Um, so first thing that we do uh, is an audit. I don't know if you want to dive in a little bit into, you know, what you would do kind of off the bat, Samer, and uh, before you even optimize the website. Yeah, yeah. The One of the big first steps that you want to take with any new SEO partnership is getting your lay of the land. You have to really identify where the gaps are on the website for your partner or for yourself. And then also the other element of this, you have to start identifying within the overall competitive landscape, where you fit in, where the, where the growth potential is. Mm-hmm. And that way that allows you to really identify where your low hanging fruit is, but also when you start building out your SEO roadmaps and you start really strategizing beyond the first month, where you really want to put your focus on. And a lot of that really comes out of those audits, your website audits, those competitor audits. It gives you a lot of information that okay. you can. So that's really one of the biggest first steps that, that you should really take to start establishing your initial steps. Yeah. And just, you know, when doing that audit, I remember working with Haven and, you know, they, you know, the first thing that we wanted to do is make sure that tracking was set up correctly. So, you know, they're using a Dutchie menu as an iframe. Um, so the first thing we did is we switched that to the subdomain so that we can have accurate numbers here uh, that you're seeing today. So, you know, the if you look at the 2020 to 2021, um, this is one quarter uh, in 2021 versus the previous year. I'm just looking at some of this data here. Let um, me dive in a little bit closer. So we increased their revenue for this quarter from 100,000 in online sales to 400,000 in online sales with a 300% increase in transactions. Uh, conversion rate went up from 2.79 to 10, almost 11%, which is massive. Uh, average duration on site went up from three minutes to 345. So, you know, the quality of the traffic went up as well. Um, conversion rate went up, bounce rate dropped. Um, so people were spending more time on the site and visiting more pages. Um, so it looks like 319 versus 526 on the pages. And then users, you know, our users went up uh, 120%. So uh, we went up from 13,000 to 30,000 uh, users. And a lot of those were new users. If we look to the right there, we can see that we had 12,930 New users in 2020, but you know, almost 30,000 in 2021. So, a lot of the efforts that we put into place, uh, you know, really had an impact on this medical cannabis store. And you know, this is the 
you know, some of the, uh, some of the metrics here. And, you know, we, they were spending, I believe a thousand dollars with us a month and, you know, over the course of one year, you know, we generated upwards of 1.2 million in, in annual sales for them. So, you know, this is, um, you know, this is an ideal case study for us is just kind of showcasing, you know, what's really important in driving a campaign. It's, you know, first you want to do your, your audit, you want to select your keywords, you know, do your on-page optimization and offsite optimization, uh, which we're going to get into a lot of these topics later in the session here. Um, so we're going to dive in deep to all, uh, I'd say all the, the first two sections here, and then we're going to launch another webinar SEO 102 for cannabis dispensaries, where we'll dive in heavy into link building tactics and how to really optimize your, your website offsite. <clears throat> All right, Samra. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into you know, some of the kind of the starting points. Like, uh, you know, when onboarding a client, you know, what steps are you taking to kind of review their current SEO strategy? Yeah, that, that's a great question because one of the big things that you'll get, especially if you're working with partners versus working on your own SEO, mm -hmm. is you've probably worked with somebody in the past more often than not who has done some level of SEO. And so obviously the very first thing, ask that partner, have you done SEO? Yes or no, that'll probably give you the, the quickest answer in regards to what you would need to do next. But let's say you don't have that ability to make that ask, or maybe it's another person at the company who doesn't have that background. The very first thing that I actually end up doing is a really simple check because regardless of your SEO level of expertise, there are certain things that you'll probably just do naturally from like the 101 standpoint. Very first thing that I'll check is what does the metadata situation look like? Does it look like it's in the structure of someone who is looking to optimize towards SEO? That'll probably be the first indicator that they've done something. Okay. Let's say you don't want to do that and you want to go for the, the, the bigger takeaways. What I'll then do is the, the two biggest things that people who do SEO fall into is buying links. So what I'll do is I'll jump into Ahrefs and I'll see, has there been a humongous spike in link building um, where the domain to link ratio is really unnaturally high, uh, especially in a short time frame. Probably someone's done some SEO there. And then also I'll look at a tool like a keyword tool, any keyword tool, like an SEM rush or something along those lines. And I'll start looking at their keyword uh, visibility over the last, let's say 12 to 16 months, and then see if there's been any massive drop-offs in any kind of keyword visibility that might indicate some sort of an algorithm update that might be tied into maybe something that isn't in line with what Google's looking for. So I'll, I'll, I'll make those initial cursory checks if I don't have the ability to ask the partner if they've done SEO in the past. And, and generally that'll give me at least some foundational information to see what I'll have to correct at the start. Because if it is, let's say really um, a, a lot of really link buying that's happening that we want to get rid of, that'd yeah. be one of the first things that you want to clean up just to kind of clean up your profile overall. So create a disavow file and submit exactly. some of those to, to remove them from your, from your link portfolio. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, those are all great, great starting points. And, you know, I would just add, you know, looking at, um, looking, get, get access to their Google Analytics and see like what the historical performance has been, you know, if there's anything, you know, for the last year, two years and beyond, uh, see if there's any major changes in content, uh, content and just organic traffic as a whole. Um, then as you said, yeah, link building, like if you go into an ARES or some of these other platforms, all of your historical data is in there. So your domain rating, your, your referring domains, your backlinks, everything is in there. So um, we'll be able to, to really just see the historical data and just you know, put together some recommendations on how to proceed. Yeah, yeah and, and SEO at the end of the day, it leaves a footprint, right? So you can trace that footprint to its origins and see what was done takes a little bit longer because there's no real recording of changes kind of like in, in paid media, but it, it's, it's definitely a worthwhile first step to take because it's really going to set the stage for the next phase of, of the, of the strategy building. Agreed. Agreed. And you know, before we even kick it off, you know, what, what is keyword research? Yeah. So let's say you've done all of your audits. You've checked that they, or you or they haven't done SEO in the past, 
And once you've done your audits, both on the competitor and on your website, the very next thing that you're going to want to do is really start establishing your keyword sets. And it's really one of those really tricky topics because it's everyone has their own approach and everyone has their own methodology. And depending on who you are from a brand perspective, meaning do you have a lot of brand visibility? Do you have a little bit of brand visibility because you're starting your journey for the first time as a company, your tactics are going to be completely different. And what I mean by that is the type of keywords that you're going to want to go after versus the type of keywords that you can go after really is, is, is variable depending on who you are and where you're starting off from. And so what a lot of times what we recommend when we're starting off that initial keyword research is really breaking up your keywords in a number of different buckets with intent behind them. So your first bucket is going to be really those broader, high volume, very competitive terms that are your money keywords, right? And those are the store, dispensary near me, buy weed online, those type of things. Yeah, those are the kind of keywords that we know that's where you're going to get a lot of your interaction with customers. That's where you're going to get a lot of your visibility. Uh, And that's where a lot of that volume is. Now, the downside to that is that if you're newer in, the, in the space as a company, you're not going to be able to really gain any real visibility quickly. And so you can really try to go after those keywords and start growing that keyword portfolio. But the reality of the situation is you have to really hedge your bets and not put all your eggs in that one basket and start looking at those other buckets that we're going to talk about. And so that next bucket will be really focusing about on taking some of those primary keywords like let's say um, dispensary in, in Maryland, as an example. Yeah. That has a lot of keyword volume, a lot of competition, because you're competing with other dispensaries, you're competing with the big leaflies and weed maps, also .govs, a lot, of, a lot of competitors on that front space. So what you want to do is that second bucket is really about longer tail, we call them modifiers. And what that is, is that you'll take dispensary in Maryland, and maybe you add another keyword or two to make it a little bit longer. So what you're doing is really trimming down the number of people who are searching for it, but you're also establishing yourself in a slightly less competitive keyword niche. And because it is associated with that broader keyword, that's a lot more competitive. If you're able to build up some momentum for this longer keyword, there's going to be an association that Google will make between that keyword, your business, and that broader, more competitive keyword. So that way you're kind of tackling both at the same time. And and that second bucket, when you're really looking to make some good incremental gains early is where you should really be focusing in on. And that doesn't mean ignore bucket one, which is those broader, more competitive terms, but you have to be realistic about what you can achieve in in a shorter window. And as you start building up that momentum from bucket one, uh, bucket two keywords, excuse me, then you're going to start seeing this natural growth in your bucket one keywords as you're, as you're targeting some of those longer tail keywords. And, and those are the two primary buckets that I would say from a keyword research standpoint, we look at, but then there's a few others that are equally as important. If you're really looking to expand on brand awareness, because mm-hmm. those are more going to be towards uh, share a voice, which is like your, 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 your brand ownership in the space. Uh, and then really bottom funnel conversion focused keywords. That's what bucket one and bucket two is all about. Getting visibility, getting conversions, getting sales. But at the end of the day, you don't want every single keyword to be about getting sales because you're going to be really limited. So what you want to also do is you want to have bucket three. And this is going to be more informational based keywords. So education, information. And a lot of times this is where I see brands either go lean into really heavily and they really go after these educational pieces, or I've seen brands completely ignore it and just focus on buckets one and buckets two. Um, but those, those more educational topic pieces, that's where you're going to really start having that brand stickiness develop. So like, as an example, let's say I do search for, as a first time customer in Maryland, let's say I search for a dispensary in Maryland, and I see all these different companies that show up, and I'm not familiar with any, any of them. What's going to convince me to click on position number four versus position number two or position number one in the search results? Um, and that's, that's the tricky part about just focusing in on bucket one and bucket two. If you have bucket three, those informational educational pieces, not only can you show up for different types of searches, different types of keywords, you're also building up your brand 
association within the space for Google. So you'll get more help with ranking for other keywords. But more importantly, when somebody does make a search for, let's say it's how do you how do you pack a bowl as an example? Maybe that's like the long tail keyword that you want to create a blog around. The great thing about that is that you're probably not going to get a ton of uh, revenue off of that post, but what you do develop is brand equity. So somebody will see that post, they'll click on it. And because they're going to be a little bit less, um, I, I guess, protective of that click because they're not buying anything. They're just looking for information. They'll go on the website. They'll make that association with your brand. And if they like the information you're presenting, maybe they'll get another engagement some other way through another search. But if, when they're ready to make that transactional type of search in Google for let's say dispensary in Maryland, and maybe you're in position number eight, you already have a brand connection with that consumer because of another post, another long tail keyword that's in bucket three. And even if you're in position seven or six or five, because you have that brand connection, you're going to, you have, you're developing a little bit of that stickiness, that consumer will feel more comfortable going through you because they have that connection with you. So that's where bucket three is incredibly important. It's about that, that nurturing and that brand stickiness that really can help with lifetime value of a consumer uh, for your brand. Yeah. And it's really you know, looking at the buckets is, you know, buckets one and two is bottom of funnel, right? People are ready to make a purchase. They're, they want to take action. They're ready to buy. Where in some of the other, you know, bucket three could be, you know, uh, like you said, information about uh, consuming, like what's the, how, how many milligrams I should take for edibles, or what's the difference between uh, sativa and indica, or, uh, you know, how do I register um, for a medical cannabis card in Maryland? Like all these top, high level top of funnel questions that people ask are, you know, they're crucial parts of your of your, your, your content strategy, your keyword strategy, and then associating your, that state or city, you know, for Haven, it's Brandywine, it's the city. So <clears throat> state's going to have uh, a wider reach. It's not as, not, maybe not as relevant because it's, you know, 100, 100 200 miles each way. Mm -hmm. um, so you probably want to focus on like your city first and then, and then expand from there. Yeah, I mean, that's also a great point that even when we get into content a little bit later on, uh, looking for local keyword opportunities that naturally make sense within your content when you're focusing on some of those bucket three keywords, those awareness and educational pieces is also a great tactic to, to get more of those, that, that, that local association created with Google. Um, one of the biggest things that I've noticed with, with different partners is that a lot of them do go really heavy on those bucket one and bucket two keywords. And there's this ceiling that you tend to hit. And that ceiling is really associated with the type of information that your website is generating. And when all of your keywords are really transactional focused, the type of information that you can create and share with Google, and then that they'll share with their users is really limited. And so when you start creating a lot of the same information over and over again, Google will just stop when it comes to rendering a lot of that information. So um, it's really about uniqueness and that uniqueness can come from that bucket three, which is a lot more towards the, the, the consumer education piece. Yeah, FAQs, you know, blog content, all these different opportunities that you can create, create fresh pieces of, of content and keywords for each, um, you know, for each target. You know, as far as the keyword research, you know, what terms and metrics do I need to really follow? No. So when you're looking at your keywords and, and you're really thinking about the metrics, right? The biggest thing that you'll really, really see a lot, uh, really frequently will be your search volume. Uh, and I'll kind of cover that in a second. Your, your average cost per click. That's what a lot of platforms will give you, even though there's, I put a big asterisk next to that. And then you'll also see an example of for that keyword, some depending on the tool you use, what the search engine results page already looks like for it. So you get kind of a quick lay of the land and you'll get like a difficulty score. Difficulty score meaning like how much effort will it really take you to get into striking distance for that keyword on page one. So I'm gonna go back to volume just really quick. And one massive misconception about volume is that 
the volume number that you'll see, and let's say it's dispensary near me, and let's say it's a thousand searches a month. That's what all the platforms will say. They'll give you a number and it's per month. Now it's not really per month. What it really is, is that they'll take the total number of searches per year on average, we'll say it's 12,000. Um, there's no seasonality in play. What they'll just say is 12,000 divided by 12, that's a thousand a month. That's what that keyword is, is a thousand a month. So it's not really seasonal based, um, but it's a good indicator. It, it'll give you an understanding of how competitive that keyword is and it'll kind of tie into that competitive score. And when you're really thinking about your keywords, you have to really be honest with yourself about where you are in the overall makeup for that uh, industry in your specific city or state. And if that difficulty score is, let's say, like a 70 or an 80% and you don't have a lot of equity, I would start looking at those bucket two keywords a lot more aggressively because those difficulty scores will be a lot less. They, the, the potential reach and searches will be a lot less, but I'll give you that entry point, that backdoor entry point into those more competitive keywords to give you that, that, that opportunity. And at the end of the day, when you're a business, what you want is you want to at bat. You want to have an opportunity to reach a customer. And by looking at things a little bit more tactically and really being honest about where you currently are and where you can get in X amount of time, that'll really open you up to actually getting that at bat with that customer. And that at bat being your listing showing up on Google in a spot where you can actually get an interaction. Yeah, those are all those are all great points. And yeah, that's when you when you're looking at keyword research, you always want to find the best ways to identify hot topics for content. Mm -hmm. like what would be your recommendations on you know curating you know a content strategy? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. And I will default to two methods that kind of get baked into one. The very first thing is I take a step back from the keywords. I don't even look at the keywords because at this point, I probably have my bucket three keywords already defined. So I'm not going to do any more keyword research yet. What I'll start doing then is going back and I'll do something called a content gap analysis. Okay. And so what that is, it's a fancy way of saying, I'm going to look at my content and then I'm going to see, all right, what keywords do my content, does my content rank for? So article one is ranking for keyword one, two, and three, right? As an example. Now, where are those keywords in the rankings? So maybe my first keyword is in position five on page one. Who's in position four, three, two, and one? Are they articles? Are they not? And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to establish where you're currently ranking, who's ranking above you for those keywords, and then what, it, what are they doing from a content structure standpoint? And the reason that's important is that that actually helps you define the next step of your content development plan. Because you can have all the topics already defined and we'll get into really identifying what those topics are in a second, but you also need to define structure and what Google is really valuing for certain topics. So when you're looking at topics and you're trying to identify those hot topics, I'll look at the competitor audit. I'll look at our content gap analysis to see if there's maybe any topics that are related to content that we're doing really well for that we don't have really created for. And then I'll look at tools like Ahrefs or SEMrush. And I'll start looking at those from a data set standpoint, because like maybe there's certain topics that are closely tied into my bucket one and bucket two keywords as well, that we just don't have any information or content around. And I'll prioritize those topics. I think the topic selection is important, but I think the topic, the content format and the keyword association is even more important because especially in the cannabis space, you're going to see a lot of the same content generated when you're starting. You're going to see a lot of posts about sativa versus indica. What's the best percentage of X that can give me Y or how to, you know, bake a brownie or how to roll, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. roll or whatever it is. You're going to see a lot of those similar content pieces. So, and you're going to probably want to create those as well at some point because you want to have some visibility and you want to have, of uh, a dog in that fight. Yep. But what you really want to do is kind of look at format, what's Google valuing. And then also when you're doing your topic research, how do you associate topics that are maybe a little bit more niche with those bucket three keywords to give you a little bit more of that um, fighting chance for, for visibility. No, yeah, those are, those are all great points. And, you know, it's, you really have to take a step back when you're going to your research and really look at your, your structure, right? Your hierarchy, your priorities. Like, what do you, 
the first three months of your campaign, like what are you really trying to achieve, right? Like, is it, do we want to focus on transaction only? Do we want to, you know, consider different topics and keywords that are top of funnel, like, you know, best hikes in Maryland to do one high or, you know, best, you know, best entertainment in Maryland, like all these different topics. So it's, it's really just, you know, prioritization, right? Like it's, uh, yeah, like on the content too, it's like how many, how many content pieces can you create per month? And all of these factors come into play when you're doing keyword research, right? Yeah, and, and one of the most misleading statements that I think came out like five years ago or four years ago was the content is king statement. I think everyone knows that. <laughs> content is, is very important, but it's really the context of your content is king um, because there's so many pieces of content that are generated millions a day across the board. So it's not necessarily the volume of your content that's important. It's the context, what's in it, the keywords, the structure, what you're targeting, who you're speaking to. And I think that's where some content within the industry falls flat. Uh, and, and if we're really looking to get it a leg up, that's how to approach it. Really thinking more tactically about what's inside your content versus just trying to create as much content as you can. No, that's great. That's great. And then, you know, you, you already touched on, you know, keyword difficulty and really how to prioritize that, you know, based on your, your current um, authority with Google, you know, how do I track my website's performance for, you know, specific keywords? Yeah. Th- so when we're thinking about keywords, they'll come mm-hmm. in two big tracking buckets, right? You have your, t- your basic tracking tools like a Bright Edge or an SEMrush um, Ahrefs, if you prefer, whatever it is, there's a, there's a lot of ways to track your keywords. And the simplest way of tracking them on those platforms is they won't give you in, uh, information on engagement. They'll give you information on placement. So are you in position five on page four? Are you in position one on page two? So what you can do using a tool like SEMrush, which is our preferred tool to use, is that you can track average growth for every keyword and the associated page, which is really great because you can see keyword one is ranking uh, for this page in this position and this page being like your website page. So that's a great way. But I think that's kind of uh, uh, half the equation because if you're getting really great visibility, you're seeing really big time keyword growth, but it's not resulting in any action that then you might have a problem because you might have a keyword misalignment. So what I tend to do is I'll look at that information because again, it's very important and it gives you information on if you're doing right, doing right by your SEO strategy. But I'll take it another step and I'll look at my keywords that I'm targeting. I'll go into uh, Google Search Console and Google Search Console is probably the most important SEO tool for any SEO because it's only SEO related, it's organic related, and it gives you information that GA used to give you 15, uh, 12 to 15 years ago. Uh, what I mean by that is they give you information at the action level for keywords and for landing pages. And so you can actually see impressions. So how many times has your keyword served for, or how many times has your landing page served for a keyword in Google? But more importantly, they'll give you how many times keywords are engaged with. So you can see clicks, you can see impressions, you can see average position. And, and all of this information, when you tie it into your tracking tool, like an SEM rush, will give you a good understanding of, okay, keyword one is now in position two on page one. That's great. We've made huge gains there. We're also seeing, like I say, a 30% increasing increase in clicks. We're seeing a like 100% increase in impressions. So now you're looking at it from the lens of keywords growing, which is wonderful. And we're also seeing growth on the action level, which is the most important level to look at from a keyword standpoint. So by looking at those together, you can really start getting a good feel for where you're where you're trending overall from the keyword positioning landscape. But yeah, I encourage everyone to get familiar with Search Console. It's, it's one of the best tools for an SEO and it, it really helps you get that extra layer when you're uh, deeper into your, into your analysis as you're looking at your keyword performance. Yeah, so just to recap, you know, Google Search Console, you can look at you know, impressions, clicks, you can look at all like the, the really granular details about the, you know, how your keywords are showing up in search results for your website domain. And then you can look in Google Analytics to see, you know, 
people actually clicking on those keywords and how they interact with your website. And that's where you can track conversions and see if you know those keywords are actually delivering results. Mm-hmm. And then SEM Rush is where you can see, you know, it's a third-party tool where you can track all the keyword rankings. Uh, and I, I remember in SEM Rush, you can you can see like where your keyword ranks depending on the proximity to your actual location as well. So they, they do have that, but I don't trust it as much when we're thinking about the local pack. Um, what we tend to use when we're looking at, because the issue with local pack and keywords is that it will go off of where the provider, let's say in this case, SEM Rush, is yeah. sending their searches from. So it's never going to be really that accurate for a local pack. So what we use is we'll use a tool like Bright Local, which has a, uh, a search grid uh, functionality associated for your local pack. And so you can actually get a much more accurate representation of your keyword visibility in the Google Maps results in different sectors. Um, and, and we also use that for a lot of our partners as well. So um, I think lo- looking at, there's a ton of tools out there. The, the big thing is really defining what your needs are and then how those tools can support your needs. The, the, one of the things that I tend to notice with a lot of our, our, our newer partners is that they have signed up for SEMrush and Hrefs and uh, Majestic SEO and, and XYZ, all these other tools, but they're not really used. And they're all great tools, but they all have some strengths and they all have some areas that they're not as strong on. So it's really about figuring out what you need, keeping your toolkit a little bit leaner because you want to use the features and all of the tools that you're really maximizing uh, that, that you're looking to leverage. And then also use those free tools like a search console, because that's going to be information that none of those other tools will be able to get cleanly. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a ton of tools out there. It's just being, I think, smart about what you need and then matching it with the right tool. Yes. Yeah. What type, what tool would you use to identify like the keyword difficulty? You know, what percentage would you, you know, consider going after, you know, is it like 65% and below? Like what, what are your recommendations there? I think for the cannabis space in general, uh, SEM rush is probably a good tool. They have, um, a keyword magic tool on there, uh, that you can utilize. Uh, if you're not in the cannabis space, which everyone here is like keyword planner through Google ads, that's great. But not really helpful in the cannabis space. They filter out a lot of that information. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the difficulty percentage, it goes back to where we started, where it's really about where you are as a brand. I think that if you're a very established brand, you've been around for a while, you have a really great brand strength behind you, you have a loyal customer base, and you have keyword equity already. If a keyword that you're looking to target is you have some foundational elements for some of those keywords that you're looking to go after. Like if you're having a keyword that's in this seventies and eighties and nineties from a competition level, I think that's doable over time. But if you're really just starting out, I would keep it more conservative, really look at not necessarily that comp, the difficulty percentage, but look that step deeper, look at who for your target keywords are showing up in Google on page one and page two, where you're currently trending, and I think that will give you a better estimation of if you should really go after that keyword in the short term. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go after these keywords are difficult. You just have to kind of approach it with a slightly different lens than if you're a little bit more established because you can tackle that keyword a little bit more head on if you have some, some backing behind you from a brand equity standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many opportunities there. And, you know, we've, we've talked on, you know, talked about the, I guess, high level keyword research tactic tactics. Is there any like advanced strategies that you'd recommend, uh, you know, someone to consider? Yeah. Well, let's say you're done. You're kind of through with all of your basic keywords. You're ranked for everything. Yeah. You're ranked for everything. <laughs> um, I think at that point it's starting and we'll get into this a little bit later. It's starting to look at what do you want to rank for different search types? Cause a lot of times what people think naturally when they're thinking about keywords and ranking for keywords, they think about the map which is very important for a lot of the cannabis space. And then after that, just a a regular text-based search result. That's great. But Google's for the last seven, eight years has evolved beyond just your basic search result. You have quick answers and you have all these other different variations of searches. So once you're in a position where you're ranking really well for a different, a number of your core keywords, whatever that, that bucket would look like, I would start looking at different search results 
types. So if you're really looking to, let's say you have a lot of brand equity for those broader, really competitive keywords, but you're kind of struggling on that knowledge base aspect of it. I'll start looking at how do we start ranking for keywords in a quick answer? Because a lot of times a quick answer will be smack dab in the front of everything. Um, in a a ranking, right? That's above everything yeah. else. Even, even sometimes ads, right? So, uh, sometimes I think sometimes yeah. depends on, on, on the layout, but yeah. I would start looking at diversification of search results. That's going to be super important. And then the same, in my opinion, the same foundational strategies when you're doing your keyword research still apply. You're just looking at a slightly different format and there's different rules. Um, but I don't think you could ever get to the point where you're ranking for too many keywords, in my opinion. I think it gets to the point of what type of user are you looking to attract and how do we expand on that on that keyword profile for that type of user? Yeah, and one thing I forgot to ask is, you know, how many keywords should you target for uh, for one page? Yeah, it's 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 really dependent on the intent of that page because you'll always have a, a page where there's going to be a primary keyword that's going to be associated with it according to Google, right? So it's it you could target as many keywords, I guess, as you want with the exception of trying to keyword stuff, because what you want to do is you want the content, whether it's a category page, a product page, a blog post, a home page, a store page, you want the content to read like it's meant for a human being. And a lot of times when people are trying to rank for 20 or 25 keywords on a page, it just is awful to read. So what you want to do is you want that balancing act. I always will like for our partners, we try to strive for anywhere between two to five keywords on one page. And five is really on the upper end. Um, I, I like to keep it a little bit tighter. I like to make sure that the information is made for a user and not for Google first and foremost. And then the second purpose of that content is for Google. And so try to keep the keywords a little bit tighter. Our practice is two to five. Um, and again, that also depends on the type of keywords they are and the type of page that it is. Um, the, the, the product listing pages probably going to be on the smaller side. If it's a blog post, maybe a little bit more. Um, closer to five. So I would say just be cognizant of the read quality and also what you're trying to achieve with that page. Because at the end of the day, your website is a store for Google and Google's the mall, right? So Google's going to give you better placement at the entrance of their mall. If you have more valuable information that's meant for for a user. And if you're trying to keyword stuff and you're just trying to trick the system, Google will just put you in the back away from the food court and you'll never get any kind of foot traffic whatsoever. So that's how I envision Google one big mall and you're a store within their mall. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And, you know, thank you for all those insights in, in, you know, in regards to keyword research, like it's, it's really, uh, just endless opportunities there. And, you know, I would consult, uh, you know, with your SEO strategist or if you have someone in house, uh, to, to just get feedback on that and, you know, get creative with it, right? There's there's tons of opportunities over there. There's tons of questions to answer. Uh, there, we didn't even dive into you know product categories, um, product specific, but you know it's endless. It's endless. So, yeah. You think that you're ranking for everything? I guarantee you, there's huge opportunity somewhere that you're potentially not growing into as heavily as you can. So it's yeah. an endless supply. So if you're an SEO person, that's great because that means endless yeah. for you. Um, but if you're also a business owner, that means endless growth potential, depending on where you are. Yeah. Well, let's transition to the competitor audit. So, you know, completing a competitive analysis report allows you to review the overall market, uh, competitors in the space and reveals the you know, current search landscape for important keywords. Uh, a competitor analysis can help you with, you know, benchmarking your, your current SEO performance, as you said, Samer. You know, identifying different areas of improvement for your strategy, you know, reveal any competitor gaps or weaknesses or keyword gaps, uh, and discover your competitors' winning strategies. So, you know, I guess for you, Samurai, why is it important to do a competitor audit? I personally feel that the competitor audit is one of the top three most important things to do in your first two weeks of your SEO work for yourself or for a partner. Uh, and, and really the main reason behind that is it really does give you an understanding of where you sit. Okay. Also, it gives you a huge understanding of 
if let's say you're looking at five competitors, if a couple of them are doing really well, you can really see what Google is valuing in your space, in your geo, in your industry. Now, again, it's not really about taking ideas and, and trying to replicate them because you're probably going to not outrank them. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to make, you're trying to cut that learning curve for yourself as, as much as possible. And so you don't really want to start from square zero. If you can start from square, you know, five, those are horrible analogies there. But anyway, it's, a, you kind of want to cut that learning curve as quickly as possible. And that competitor audit, looking at your competition, the landscape, what's working, what's not working for them will give you an understanding of how to break up your strategy from a tactical standpoint and kind of grow a little bit quicker than you would if you were just focusing on your own website from an audit standpoint. So it's super important to do that at, at the start and as early as possible. And when you're looking at your competitor landscape, what I encourage everyone to do is treat it like those websites are your website. So yeah. audit them on the technical side, audit them on the keyword side, on the content side, on the link building side, really look at it. It's time consuming. 100% it is, but all that time you're investing there will save you tons of time in the future. And looking, treating like those competitors, like they're your website will also give you something to strive for. So if you do have a couple of gorillas in the room, you can then say, all right, this is my North star that I'm trying to grow towards. And then you can start benchmarking yourselves against them over the next, you know, six, 12 months to see if your actual rate of growth is passing their rate of growth. And if they're seeing drop-offs, you can then say, oh, this is what I should be avoiding because Google's avidly, you know, hitting them on the wrist here. Let's not go in that direction. So it's kind of like a cheat sheet for you if, if you look at it correctly. Yeah, it's really establishing that benchmark, um, seeing where you rank versus your competitors, right? You know, how they're, they're, the quality of their content is compared to yours. Uh, you know, what type of content they're producing? Is it long, like let's say 3,000 word posts, like really extensive in-depth pages or they're doing 500 word blog posts and also like seeing if they, if their websites are responsive, right? And if the, if the page speed of their website is different than, you know, than yours, you know, cause this is, these are all factors that come into play when you're trying to rank on Google. Um, yeah, so as far as the, in addition to that, like, are there any like you know, top three things that you should be taking notes for in the competitive analysis report? You so you said you said a few of them. There's anything that we that we missed? I would say the, the three things when you're focusing on the takeaways, not what yeah. to look for exclusively, but the takeaways. I would say content footprint, on-site and off-site. That's huge. Um, but it's not only the volume of content. You hit on this just a few seconds ago. It's the quality and and positioning of that content do they have a hundred blog posts that are really thin do they have let's say 50 blog posts that are really informational long form um, that are ranking for different keyword varieties and in different types of search results that's super important you need to understand the lay of the land because if you find a competitor that is just doing a fantastic job on the content side and you're not going to be doing content at the same type of velocity and the same kind of structure, then you're going to really struggle to over overtake them over time. The other portion of this is something that we haven't really touched on that heavily, but you just hit on a second ago. It's really the internal functionality of the website. So page speed is the first thing that comes to mind. Core web vitals is part of the algorithm. That's also important. And that's tied into page speed. Um, and, and this stuff is more, on the UX side of things. It's really about how that user experience will be enhanced for an inbound user. And Google takes that really seriously. Uh, and then the very last thing is when you're looking at your competitors, the big takeaway is their keyword footprint. That's important as well. Are they doing a fantastic job of ranking for just their brand? Is that all they're ranking for in brand variations? Then you're as a competitor in a great spot because they've obviously neglected their non-brand keyword growth, but it also gives you an understanding and it kind of gives you a peek behind the curtain on their strategy and what they're focusing on and where their priorities lie. If they're really growing and they have this great content network and 
they have this amazing set of long tail keywords that they're ranking for, they probably value that type of work on the SEO side. So it kind of gives you a peek, but it also gives you understanding of where the opportunities lie on the content side of things. So those would be the three big ones that I would probably take out of the audit to look at first as the priority priority pass through. And what about if I'm, I'm in Maryland or let's say uh, I'm in Illinois and I'm a, I'm, I'm a one-store one family-owned business and you know, all of my competitors are huge players with big budgets. Like how do you compete on that level? That's the hardest part of yeah. this entire, <laughs> of this entire uh, SEO workflow that we tend to do is, is we do run into that quite a bit. And, and one of the things that I will always be upfront with our partners about is expectation setting. I know this isn't the question, but it's really being true to and being truthful with yourself of what to expect, whether you're doing SEO on your own or you're working with a partner or an agency, you have an internal team members doing it. If you're a, a kind of starting the journey or you're a single store operator and you don't have a lot of influence yet, and there's a lot of those bigger players in the market near you, you have to be realistic about your time frame for growth, right? Um, that's step number one. But what I would say is when we're looking at these smaller single store operators, there's huge opportunity there. And the opportunity is geo specific to your store surroundings. So what I will always look at is, okay, let's say there's a bigger competitor that's two blocks down. That's two blocks of separation. So how can you maximize your visibility and your reach on the keyword side that is within those two blocks? Because what you want to own is that immediate space around you. And that's the space that they're going to have a really hard time owning because they're not that close to you. So you want to own that immediate surrounding area from the keywords, landscape, perspective, some of those content pieces. You want to like really make sure you're expanding around your, your immediate store location. And then after that, that's where the competitor audit starts kicking in. Where do you want to grow as a business? Is it really, let's say you're really into CBD. That's your business. That's what you want to expand on. All right. Do your competitors have that same focus? And if they do, where, what's their visibility and footprint look like? And then from there, working your way backwards into a strategy that can really pierce into the gaps that they have. Because realistically, we've worked with some pretty big partners on our side, on the dispensary end, who are multi-store operators, and, and they, they do have a lot of great footholds and big areas. But there's always gaps in their keyword portfolio or the content portfolio or the link building portfolio or whatever. And you'll be surprised how often these bigger MSOs will have a lot of technical issues on their website that they just gloss over. And so looking at that also and saying, all right, if I can keep my site really technically clean, all my metadata is set up correctly, I have schema, page speed is firing great, all these other things that Google values I can promise you nine times out of 10, these big operators don't have the resources or don't put the effort into those. You'll be able to make up some ground in that, in that area. And then you'll start compounding that growth really quickly by being a little bit more strategic. You don't have to have a big bucket uh, of, of dollars. I mean, it, it, it helps. It definitely helps. But if you're smart about your dollar allocation and your investment, how to use it, you can really grow. And you just have to be, again, realistic about timeline because- there's going to be a slightly bigger window when you have a little bit less investment to work off of. Yeah. And then really consider, uh, you know, there's a couple of free, free tactics that you can do that can, you know, really establish you as a business. And, you know, if you do have you know, great customer service, a, a really you know, expansive product catalog, com competitive pricing, um, really push your competitors to be, you know, give you feedback on those and give you Google reviews. And that's going to be one way that you can compete like hand in hand with all the MSOs. It's like if you're in the local pack, you get to, you know, hundred reviews, get to 300, 500, then a thousand, that will give you a chance to really compete against the big, um, the big partners, right? And the big, uh, yeah, great points, great points. <clears throat> then after you've done the keyword research, like where do you implement the top keywords? Yeah, that's, uh, that's another part of this because yeah. a lot of people, they just take those keywords and start spraying them everywhere on footer, the yeah. <laughs> Every opportunity. I've seen people put keywords in the footer. I've seen them embed them in hidden text on blogs. It, as more, the better. You don't want to do that. 
you want your keywords to really be associated with the landing page of focus. So um, what you wanna do is when you're taking your keywords, the main areas that you wanna really identify for placement of your keywords will be mm. your title tags. That's gonna be very important. Your H1s, your headers, your H1s, H2s. How do you incorporate keywords into those elements? And then your on-site anchor texts. You don't want to have exact match anchor text, which we'll get into a little bit later, but you want to have some of those keywords uh, naturally inserted in a readable format within your content across your blogs or across your other landing pages. And then also if you're doing any kind of link building, you know, working with a, a third-party website to try to get a link from them, whether you're providing them content or not, um, giving them that keyword with an associate landing page would also be beneficial. But if you're just focusing on your website, I would say your title tags, also your, your meta description will be helpful. H1s, H2s, H3s if you, if you have them. Um, and those would be really important to, to embed. And then also it doesn't hurt, but it has to be natural it, it, yeah. within your URL structure. That's also important. Um, but again, I've seen people go a little overboard with that. Uh, it, it's helpful, but it's not going to make or break you in any way. But it, it will give you, um, it, it give, it'll, it'll give the search engines and the users an understanding of at the URL level what your page is about. But again, that last part, I think you should do it delicately. Yeah, so this is an example of a, a location here. We have Ann Arbor. So can you see this, Sam, or does it show you Ann Arbor right. Cannabis Dispensary? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, so that's the title tag there. And maybe description is going to be, you know, let's just do, I'll, I'll show you this on the front end. Uh, there you go. So there's your, your, there's your title tag and then here's your meta description. Yep. Uh, so this is how it's going to show in the, you know, in the actual search results. And you can see that, you know, Google has updated its platform and they do allow pictures. So, you know, mm -hmm. I see a picture here. And a picture here that's associated with the the actual location, <clears throat> and then this is the top. This is the header tag. Yep. So this will be your H one. Will be really establishing what your page is about. And uh, then you can have H two or H three, which are subcategories of that header tag. Uh, and then let's go down a little bit. This is a, a little trick here. You know, having um, written out the directions from you know. Uh, different landmarks that are nearby the store. This is a great way to associate the, the um, location with different attractions and landmarks and popular areas. And then here's another, here's H2, right? So then they also have the, the, the keyword in the content. So you can see that's not, if I did a, if I did a search here, uh, cannabis. So it looks like we have it in there twice. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to overdo it. You want to you know, put it a few times within the content naturally, right? It needs to read for a human, and not for search engines. And yeah, that's it. I mean, that's that's where it is strategically placed on this page. So um, just being really, um, you know, being really specific on how you're targeting each page, and if it's a blog post, only talk about one topic but then the title tag in the same place as the URL structure. Um, you can see in, on that, uh, on the previous URL, it actually had cloud cannabis slash dispensary slash Michigan slash Ann Arbor. So you can, you can see the, the URL hierarchy there and you have Ann Arbor dispensary and then their, their domain name is cloud cannabis. So you have all those keywords and everything within the actual URL. Yeah, and, and none of that was stuff. None of that was really created with very little thought. It's all it's all really about when you're thinking about how to approach your keywords and your and your on-site content. And all, it's all about mindfulness. Be yeah. mindful about what you're doing because somebody's gonna associate that with your brand and and you wanna have a really good brand reputation at the end of the day, because that's gonna help with sustainability and really get those new users in the door. So yeah, it, it's really about being not not overdoing everything. It's yeah. about being wise about when to lean into something and when to maybe not lean into it as heavily as you, mm -hmm. as you would like to. 
Yeah, and then as far as the the URL structure, I showed it, showed it to you there. Like, do you have any top tips for so, you know setting up the URL structure like as a standard? Yeah, uh, I would say think about it from a pathway perspective, right? So what I see a lot of is xyz.com forward slash, especially if it's a blog, the name of the blog, right? That's okay. fine at the end of the day. But what you want to create is a hierarchy for a user to be able to like understand where they came from all the way through, kind of like, like breadcrumbs in many ways. So what I always recommend is, is for whatever page you're building, is it associated with a page at a higher level? So if we're going back to that Cloud Canvas example, we have that store page, but it's associated with their dispensaries in the state of Michigan. So we have a state dispensaries page. And then a state, that state dispensaries page is one layer lower than their overall business location dispensaries page. So we have dispensaries there as another part of their URL slug. So what you want to do is you don't want to create a, a site hierarchy for the sake of creating one. You want to actually make it so there's a tangible reason why it's there. But I would say being able to establish a URL structure that a user can look at and say, oh, okay, I came from this page and this page, and that's how I got here. And, and you want to make it super easy for the end user and then also super easy for the bots to be able to just scroll through your URL structure. And it just helps them when it comes to parsing and, and, and all that kind of good stuff for your data. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the, the title tags, you know, I did show you how it appears in Google search results. So that's going to be the, the first main yep. header. Uh, and then the main description is right under that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and on the title tags, actually, it's funny because you and me have a slightly different opinion on title tags. Uh, and I don't know if your opinion has changed, but I'm of the opinion of keyword and then brand name after the, uh, the bar. I forget what it's called, but that, that up and down bar. <laughs> yep. uh, but I believe if I'm not wrong, you prefer brand first and then the keyword after the brand name. So we have a slightly same basic format, but just flipping of positions. Um, and I think or whoever is doing the title tags, the most important thing is your primary keyword should be in your title tag. And I think if you are with a character count, your brand name should be in your title tag as well. I think those are important uh, to have because they do impact your rankings. On the meta description side, I think it's more of a sales pitch. It doesn't impact your rankings, but it does impact your click-through rate. And that at the end of the day has influence on your rankings. So. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to keyword stuff your meta description. It's more about like if you had an elevator pitch for 10 seconds, what would that be? How do you get someone to enter your store uh, from Google? And that's your one opportunity. Uh, there are times where Google will look at your meta description and say, it's not worth it for me. I don't like it. And they're going to pull something from your website directly. Um, so you're going to have some of that once in a while. But I think looking at your, your metadata uh, in the lens of, your brand and your target keyword for your title tags and then your sales pitch in your meta description would be a, a really great step for those two elements. Agreed. Yeah. I and mean, it's, I think that, you know, if you have the keyword in the beginning of the title tag, it's going to help you rank faster. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just going to give you a little bit, a little bit of a nudge. Uh, but then once you establish first page and number one rankings and you have built the trust and authority with Google, then you could, you know, probably move it to the beginning because your brand, like, you want your brand to be associated with that keyword as well. So there may be some opportunities there, and you know, keep in mind that the limit is between 50 and 60 characters in the title tag. So you really want to keep it under 60 characters, so you can, you know, see most of the time, 90% of your display, your titles will display uh, properly in search results. So you know, keep that in mind when putting together that uh, that content. And I think we're coming up on time here, so we'll have to, you know, save, you know, some of the the next content pieces for uh, for our next SEO webinar. So to recap today's webinar, SEO one one for cannabis dispensaries, we covered, you know, how to do competitor competitor analysis research. We really dove in deep into keyword research and how to implement keywords into your site and your SEO strategy. Um, plus, we you know started to look at uh, on-page optimization, right? Like implementing your your keywords and your URLs, your title tags, your header tags, meta descriptions within the content. Uh, so we really covered a lot today. 
And you know, don't forget that we're we're going to cover uh, you know the next phase of our SEO um, webinar series. We're going to be covering uh, let's see schema featured snippets. We'll also be diving into off-page optimization, so looking at listings, looking at link building strategies for a single store and multi-store, you know, cannabis retail chains. And you know, I want to thank you again, Samer, for for joining us today and really taking the time to dive in deep. And you know, excited to have you on the next session to share some of your expertise with uh, our audience. Thanks for having me. It's always fun chatting with you, and yeah, I'm excited for for uh, 102. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And and just to recap, you know, Media Gel is here to connect, you know, cannabis brands and retailers with cannabis consumers through our, our uh, network of mainstream publishers, mobile apps, games, and TV. You know, we help cannabis companies advertise on Google so they can do paid search. And we support an SEO, which is what we're covering today. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can activate uh, marketing campaigns on your behalf and activate data with display advertising advertising campaigns to support e-commerce sales as well. So really covering every uh, step of the customer journey and having are here to serve you. So um, Media Gel, you can schedule a, a meeting with us at mediagel.com uh, and we'll, we'll be happy to help. See you later.